listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Let's pray before we begin. God, we thank you for this time and this space. We pray that you would be present. We pray that you would guide us. We pray that uh, your words would settle deep into our hearts. You would help us to focus and hear your voice. Amen. Amen. We've started into a series talking about prayer. Uh, Prayer is communicating with God. Prayer is both listening and speaking with God. Uh, And today we're going to continue talking about prayer. And prayer falls into what has traditionally been called a spiritual discipline. These are practices that are meant to help us connect with God in in different ways. Now, they're called spiritual disciplines because they're disciplines. They aren't easy. If they were easy, they wouldn't be called disciplines. So like a spiritual discipline isn't watching TV because that is easy. A spiritual discipline is something you kind of got to work at in the same way that, you know, going for a run, you kind of have to Like, most of us, my husband excluded, don't necessarily go for runs for fun. And we have to work at it to go really fast, right? But the benefit of it overrides the challenge it is to make make it go. You, You don't accidentally get faster at running, unless you're my husband. And you have to intentionally get out of bed and go out and do it. And you may not enjoy the process, but the fruit of it is nice at the end. And so spiritual disciplines are like that. Usually you don't naturally do them. You kind of have to kick yourself in the butt and say, I'm going to do this because I know the fruit outweighs the challenge of rolling out of bed in the morning. Okay, so things like Scripture reading and memorization, meditation, uh, times of solitude or worship or prayer, um, or fasting, which is what we're going to talk about today. And spiritual disciplines are important because of the way that we're built as human beings. Um, C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, wrote in A Grief Observed that human beings are a terrible oxymoron. We are the spiritual animal, okay? a spiritual animal. He's pointing out the fact that we have both a body and a spirit. We have this divine spark within us, that part of us that is eternal, but we also have this temporal part of us that's made out of flesh and blood. So we have this part that longs to commune with God, that longs to be connected to our Heavenly Father, and we also have this part that's wasting away day by day, that needs to eat, that needs to sleep. And so we can really want to spend time with God and then we fall asleep on our Bible. Anybody guilty? We can really want to pray and then we start thinking about lunch, right? So those are, that's that tension, that beautiful tension that God has built into us because um, while human beings like to go to the extremes and say either the body is all bad or the body is all good or the spirit is all, you know, the spirit is all that matters or... There's no spirit at all. In reality, we're in the middle, right? We're both. And in that tension is where our faith is lived out because we can't, you know, we can't pray without our bodies. We can't read without our bodies. Like, we're embodied people, okay? And we are connected to the, the, our spirits and our bodies are interconnected. That's why, you know, if we are lying in our bed with our eyes closed in a dark room, it might be harder to pray, 
right? Unless we're really good at staying awake in those situations. Uh, our, our posture, how we do things, how we embody our faith matters. It, 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 you can't, you can't um, disentwine our body and our spirit. Now, this is something that gives us pause to think about how our body is also a gateway to our spirit to connect with God, right? There are things that we can do that help us connect with God, and there are things that we can do that don't help us connect with God, okay? And there's these things that we can do that help make us, make our spirits, make ourselves more open to the spiritual world. And we see this cross-culturally, not just in Christianity, but in the world religions, that you have things that you can do which help you access the spirit world, and you have things that you can do that tend to not help with that. And these things tend to be either be you overstimulate your body, such as dancing around, uh, lots of dark, you know, flashing lights, like think trans dance, or a runner's high. You run a marathon, afterwards you feel really good. Th these are things that you overstimulate your body in a certain way, and you tend to have this sense of, you know, feeling of connection with the world, with people around you, um, this sense of communitas. Whereas the other way is you understimulate. You put yourself in a dark room for a couple days to meditate and pray. You... Uh, you fast, you um, go into solitude. Um, these are things that slow you down and kind of cut you off from your senses so you can focus inward. Meditation would fall under that as well. Either way, you overstimulate, understimulate. Both of those are gateways that help people of any religion connect with the spirit world for good or bad, right? It's just our biological makeup, that's how we are created. Now, what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about fasting. And fasting um, is one of these things that, I'm just gonna be honest, nobody really likes fasting. <laughs> but it's good for us <laughs> in many ways. Now, the spiritual disciplines are, are these things which help us to recognize the power that God has given believers, okay? I would like to use the analogy of Thor, the Norse god of thunder. Now, I've been going through a season in my life where I, I like small, easily attainable goals because they make me feel good about my life. So one of my life goals this year was to watch all of the Marvel movies. Yes. <laughs> now, what I didn't recognize when I started that journey was it wasn't enough to watch them once. I'd probably have to go through all of them at least twice, maybe three times. And my husband's still like, there are other movies in the world besides the Marvel series. And I said, what? No, there's not. <laughs> there's details I haven't, I haven't gotten into. So, but when I was preparing for this series, what struck me, pun not intended, but it's there, was Thor's hammer. Um, <laughs> Mjolnir is the hammer that he uses to fly through the air, cause bring, you know, chaos and break things and smash and be amazing, right? And this is a mystical hammer that he uses. But we see in the third, the third Thor movie called Ragnarok that his hammer gets destroyed. And he's at a loss going, what do I do? I don't have my hammer. And his father meets with him and goes, are you the god of hammers? And he's like, well, no, and he's like, you're the god of thunder. You, Odin says, the hammer was to help you control your power, 
to focus it. It was never your source of strength. And through that, Thor discovers that the power is through him, not through the hammer, but the hammer was used to direct it. And now that he has grown, he has developed as a person, he can still access that hammer, or hammer, the still access that power through himself without the use of the hammer. But he needed the hammer to learn how to use it. It took him, you know, thousands of years, however long in this mythological world he has been alive, to be able to tap into and utilize that power but he needed the hammer to focus it. That's how the spiritual disciplines work in our lives. As believers, we have unlimited, infinite power through our relationship with God. We have the power of Christ who raised the dead, healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, and cast out demons. He stopped storms. He had incredible power that he says each of us also has if we are followers of him and have his spirit living within us. The majority of us, the majority of us haven't tapped into it. The spiritual disciplines are there to help us learn how to wield that power. We have to have our own versions of Mjolnir to help us access that spiritual power and use it in our lives before we can have it on a daily basis, right? And it's a discipline. You don't accidentally learn how to wield that kind of power. You have to work at it. So that brings us to fasting, which would be defined as refraining from food for religious reasons. Now, sometimes people will talk about di different kinds of fasting, and we'll get to that more later, uh, but for the purposes of what I'm talking about now, I'm talking about you stop eating for a period of time in order to connect with God, okay? And pretty much all of the major world religions use fasting in some form or another because it works, okay? If it didn't work, you wouldn't see it everywhere, okay? It is a way of disciplining and conditioning our body and being able to tap into the spirit world that you can't do on a normal day in normal life. Um, for example, in Islam, they have what's called the holy month of Ramadan, which the entire month, everyone who's able fasts all day and then eats at night, okay? And they call it the spirit. It's a spiritual time where it's considered um, sacred space. The entire month, you're focused on trying to connect with the spirit world, and it's, it, it's this, the sense of holiness and sacredness kind of descends on the community. Uh, in Christian and Catholic traditions, you had things like Lent or giving up meat on certain days or uh, days of corporate fasting. Uh, the one that wins, though, out of all of them is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is one of the oldest in the world, for the monks and the priests and uh, the religious leaders, they have 250 days of fasting a year. Various forms. I mean, not all are completely without food. Some are vegetarian only or certain types of fasting or one meal a day for, like, for, to celebrate Christmas. What better way to celebrate Christmas than to eat one meal a day for 40 days, right? <laughs> then you're really excited for Christmas dinner. <laughs> Now, not everybody is as ambitious as the monks or the priests, and so don't worry. The regular people, you only have 180 obligatory fasting days a year. <laughs> Easier, right? <laughs> they, in their tradition, they see fasting as a, sac a way of making space and time sacred. And in... From a purely biological standpoint, we can see that the body is designed to withstand periods of famine and feasting. 
That's because most of, most of world history, we don't have perpetual access to food. There's no grocery stores. You don't have Costco. And so you have these times where you have plenty and these times where you don't. And so the body is designed to be able to survive those kinds of situations. And from a spiritual standpoint, we can see that um, fasting is also used as a way to kind of peel back that veil and to remember that you're not just a body, you're also a soul. There's both parts. And sometimes you got to remember that because you don't always remember that. Um, when the body goes without food for a period of time, it, it slows things down. There's decreased energy, decreased strength. There's a hyper-awareness of the senses in a way that you wouldn't get on a normal day. And so it does change your physiological makeup and your capacity to be aware of what's going on. Okay? And in a spiritual sense, fasting also creates greater focus, uh, greater development of self-control, um, remembering where one's strength comes from. Uh, and you discover yourself and reprioritize your life in a different way than you do on a regular day. Okay? Now, fasting is about recognizing our need for divine intervention and our dependence on God. And it's also about remembering that Sometimes seeking God is more important than seeking dinner, which, especially in the morning when I'm really hungry, I can forget, right? We see lots of different meanings to fasting if we look cross-culturally and cross-religiously, but today I'm going to primarily focus on what we see fasting used for and to symbolize in the Bible. And so like modern day, we see churches that will, you know, do like 24-hour famine where you fast to remember the poor or you fast to remember to pray or you fast for self-discipline, which can be good reasons, but we don't see that necessarily outlined in the Bible in the same sense that, and so what I'm going to focus on today are what we see fasting used for in the Bible, okay? So in the Bible, we see fasting is done communally or for, by individuals, Okay. Um, for example, one way that we see fasting done is an entire community prays for the entire community. Okay. That's all of us are praying for all of us. For example, when Xerxes gave the order to kill all the Jews in the book of Esther, the entire Jewish community responded by gathering to fast and pray together. Okay. They're all like, what just happened? Uh, what do we do? Let's fast and pray. Okay. Uh, another way that fasting has been used is you have one individual who stands in the gap and intercedes for a group of people, okay? For example, we see Daniel do this in the book of Daniel, where Daniel says, God, my people have screwed up, and on behalf of my people, forgive us. And so he fasts and prays and repents and asks for God to intercede for his people. And the third way we see is an individual fasting for their own requests or those of um, more immediate. So we see this David fasting um, in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. After David's incident with Bathsheba, she uh, bears a child who then becomes very sick. And David fasts and prays, asking for God to heal the child. That's an example of an individual in fasting and praying for um, their own purposes. Okay? And each one is valid. It's just three different, three different ways of involving people in the process of fasting. We also have ritualized versus spontaneous fasting. Ritualized, 
What I mean is there's a specific time and day that's set apart for fasting for a community or an individual every year. Okay? In the Bible, for the Jews, we only see one ritualized day prescribed in Leviticus. Okay? It was called the Day of Atonement, we see in Leviticus 23. And what would happen is this is the one day a year that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. He would give an offering on behalf of the entire nation for their sin. He would repent and say, okay, our people have sinned. We're going to place our sins on our animal and sacrifice them on behalf of the entire community. What's the entire community doing that day? Everybody who is able is fasting and praying. So everybody goes without food and goes without work and gathers together in the temple and prays along with the high priest. Okay? But that is the only regular day of fasting that we see in the Bible. We also see spontaneous fasts. This means something happens or something spurs it on and people decide to fast and pray. Okay? They, like what I just talked about with, uh, um, happened in the book of Esther, that was not a planned prescribed fasting day. That was the Jews going, they're out to get us. We're afraid. We want to connect with God. Let's gather together and pray. And so we see that repeatedly in the Bible is when people feel like they're being threatened or something's going on, they gather together and say, let's fast and pray, right? So that is spontaneous. Now, why do people fast? Every time I try to fast, I ask myself that question too. So, there are different reasons we see in the Bible that people fast. Um, in the book of Leviticus, where it talks about the Day of Atonement, they don't actually use a word mean, that means fast. The word that they use means to afflict the soul or to humble yourself. Okay? And in addition to not eating, they'll also wear sackcloth and ashes and not oil themselves. You know, basically, all of these things that would make it a normal day, they stop doing, and they afflict their afflict themselves, humble themselves, do these symbolic acts that say we are, we are presenting ourselves as an offering. Um, some rabbis I read compared fasting to sacrifice, and it considered the affliction of one's body as offering up of one's blood and fat upon the altar. So in the same way that the priest was doing that for the people, the people are symbolically doing it through fasting. Um, and they also refer to it as the opposite of joy, which in their tradition literally means the enjoyment of food and drink. And for them, sorrow was the basic tenor of the fast. Which brings us to the first reason that people biblically fast, which is to say, God, I screwed up. Otherwise known as repentance. Okay? You see an individual or a group of people gathering together as a community or as an individual to say, I really blew it. I was wrong. I need to change my life. Uh, I have a series of examples of this, which we're not going to go through all of them because we don't have time to deal through every example in the Bible on fasting. Uh, but we see, uh, as I said in reference before, Daniel did that for, on behalf of the Jews. Uh, he was in exile the Jews were all exiled because they had screwed up. They had done a lot of things that God had told them not to, and so they were being punished for it. And so during that time of exile, Daniel prays and says, God, I am repenting on behalf of my people. Please heal us. Please forgive us, even though we don't deserve it. In your mercy, come. So that is an example of 
repentance. The Day of Atonement that I referred to is also another time of fasting for repentance. Um, in the book of Joel, uh, verse 2, 12 through 13, God says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and fasting with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. In, this, in the context, the prophet Joel is telling the people of Israel that there's going to be a time of great destruction and uh, great punishment to prepare, like, if you, the only way to ward this off is by repentance, okay? Change your hearts. And it's not just about going without eating. It's the, the fasting is a symbol or a reflection of your grief, of your sadness, of your desire to change, your seriousness before God. And so come, he's saying in this verse, come back to me with your heart. Change your heart. Be sad in your heart for the things that have been done. And we'll, the symbols of that are fasting and weeping and mourning. Which brings us to the next reason people fast and pray, which is, God, I am sad, or grief, or a time of mourning, okay? We see this a lot in the Bible. Lots of, lots of the Bible stories say, and he, you know, tore his clothes and put ashes on his face. That's a symbol of mourning, a symbol of sadness, okay? It's, my heart is so heavy and I'm so grieved, I need to do something about it. And so we see people responding to grief in this way, which... To be honest, it's kind of a pretty normal physiological reaction. If you've ever had something really sad happen, sometimes the emotions are so heavy on you, you don't really feel like eating, and someone has to come and be like, hey, you should eat something before you pass out, right? Anyone been there? It's like, it's that sense of like, there's such an emotional turmoil within that you don't necessarily feel like eating. You just feel like sitting there and being sad until the emotions have been worked through. But we see this on an individual and corporate level in biblical examples. Um, for example, Nehemiah received a report. He was another one of the Jews that were in exile during this time of grief that the Jewish people went through when they were being punished for their sin. Um, Nehemiah had received a report that the city of Jerusalem was broken and uh, the walls around it hadn't been rebuilt. So people had returned to Jerusalem, but they hadn't been able to rebuild the city yet. And so they were in danger and they were shamed by the people around them who were looking and saying, what kind of people are you? You can't protect yourselves. And so Nehemiah was so sad about the status of the, the walls in Israel that he broke down and wept and cried and fasted for multiple days uh, before the king gave him the opportunity to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, you also see, like in the book of Samuel, uh, when Jonathan and Saul were killed, the people who were close to them got the news and immediately fasted. That um, was just that response to grief. Now, next reason we see in the Bible for people to fast is, God, please help me, or a, a time of petition, asking God to intervene on your behalf. This is, you see this pretty often as well, where people get to this point where they realize this situation is beyond me. There is nothing I can humanly do to fix this situation, and I need the divine hand of God to save me, or bad things are going to happen, okay? Once again, the example I gave of the book of Esther. The Jews knew they couldn't stop what was going to happen. They needed some divine intervention, or they were all going to die. So they asked God to help. Uh, we also see this in the book of 2 Chronicles 20, uh, Jeho Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, 
saw that they had an army that was approaching to attack them, and he was afraid, and so he sought the Lord. Um, and it says, um, oh good, I did put it there. Okay. He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So he calls a fast. All the people get together. They fast. They pray. They say, God, help. And guess what happens? God helps. It's a really encouraging theme when I went through these different stories of fasting is pretty much it goes, they fasted and then God worked. They fasted and then God worked. Because God is awesome like that. Okay? So that's a beautiful thing. It's like almost, you see every time like, Nehemiah fasts. Then what happens? The king asks him why he's sad. And he says, this is why. And says, oh, he, I'm going to send you to fix the problem with the resources you need to do it. Okay? In this situation with Jehoshaphat, the people pray, they fast, and God says, okay, let me intervene on your behalf. Okay? Now, next we see a reason people fast and pray is, God, what do I do next? They're in a season of transition. There's something changing in their lives, and they aren't necessarily in control of it. They don't know what to do. Or it's just a big, a big life season that has changed from one to the next. And so they take time to fast and pray. For example, Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, we see, uh, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is my favorite verse on fasting in the entire Bible. <laughs> it's like, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's like, I'm glad that Jesus was hungry after that because I would be really worried if he wasn't and I would feel like he was less human if he wasn't. But then what is the devil testimony immediately? Make some bread. Just exactly what you want during a fast is eat some food, Right? But that was just that, that sense of Jesus is being prepared for his next season of ministry. He hasn't made his ministry public yet. And so it, before he can make his ministry public and step into this role as teacher, he takes time to fast and pray. 40 days. That's a serious time to fast and pray. And what are the things he's tempted on? Food, right? One of the most basic things, but one of those things, I mean, that's why I mean, in fasting, that's one of those things that happens is it's that wrestling between human needs, genuine needs, and that desire for spiritual needs, right? So Jesus has been going through that struggle. He did the struggle, and at the end, he succeeded. And what is the, one of the first things that God does? He sends his messengers to feed Jesus as soon as he's done, but he had to get through the end. But we see this is... Preparation of Jesus for the next stage of ministry. We also saw Saul and Barnabas before they start their ministry, um, their missionary journeys to the Gentiles. The church gathers and fasts and prays and then appoints them for this next stage of ministry they're going into. We also saw uh, when Jesus was a little baby and being dedicated in the temple, there was a widow there who spent all of her time fasting and praying. Uh, and she blesses Jesus when he comes. This was a woman who was preparing the people of Israel for the next stage of their spiritual journey, which was the coming of the Messiah. So that was a corporate um, type of thing. We also see uh, um, Jesus referring to the time of his ministry as a time of feasting 
in preparation for after he's gone, it'll be a time of fasting. Okay, so while he's on, on earth, it's a different season. When the season changes, that's when the church starts fasting. Okay, so changing leadership. Now, those are four reasons that people in the Bible fasted and prayed. Now, we're going to talk about how we, ways not to fast. Okay? Fasting without praying. That's called being hungry. It's not a spiritual discipline. <laughs> Maybe a physical discipline, but it's not a spiritual one. I have tried fasting where I didn't take the time to pray. It was just me being grumpy. Okay? It wasn't helping my spirit at all, except maybe showing me all the ways that I am a fleshly human being and all the ways that I need food to survive. Now, taking time to fast and pray together is the important thing. Okay? The praying is important because that's taking, it's basically setting the time aside to seek God in a more wholehearted way than you were doing otherwise. Okay? Another way not to fast is fasting and sinning, okay? God wants obedient kids. He's not impressed with starving kids who are starving themselves just to be cool and not because they're trying to be obedient to him, okay? God isn't impressed by ritual that doesn't involve the heart. Uh, you see this uh, in Isaiah 58, uh, 6 through 12. It's one of the longest chapters on fasting, and it's talking about how not to fast, and it's basically saying, you're fasting wrong. You are fasting while being mean, oppressing people. You're having the outward expression of spirituality without your heart being changed and obedient to God. And that's not the way you do it. Okay? Um, <clears throat> the other, other thing how not to fast is by showing off or whining. Okay? That's the, look how awesome I am, everyone. I am fasting. Look how miserable I am. Look how hungry. My life is hard. Aren't you impressed by how holy I am? That is not how we fast. In Matthew 6, 16 through 18, when Jesus directly addresses fasting, that's what he says not to do. He says that's how the hypocrites fast. Don't be the hypocrite. You're fasting to impress your heavenly father, and he will reward you. Don't do it to impress everybody else. The heart condition has to be right, okay? Now, that brings us to the next thing, which is how do we fast? If we don't do it by just being hungry or being hungry and grumpy, how do we fast? We, let's first go into what kind of fasts are there, okay? One kind is called a dry fast, and that's where you have nothing. No food, no water, zip, nothing. This is more of an extreme fast, and you, you can't do that more than three days or you die. So it's, it's something that is really only used in very um, special circumstances. Now, a day or so is, can be pulled off without problems. Uh, just don't try to do that more than three days. But that, that's one kind. The next kind of fast is called, sometimes called a normal fast. That's where you drink water, but that's all you have. No food, no juice, no other liquids. It's just water um, for a period of time. And that is much more sustainable. You can, people have pulled that off for, you know, up to 40 days, right? Um, and that can last, oh, let me get, 
That, so that's, that's one kind. That's just no food, no liquids, except for water. Okay, normal fast. A next kind of fast is called a partial fast, which is a restricted diet. Okay, so that's like um, I talked about in Ramadan, where you fast during the day and then eat at night. Or sometimes it's called to like a Daniel fast. Uh, in the book of Daniel, the, um, Daniel and his friends asked for only vegetables to be served them because they wanted to be um, set apart from the people that they were, they were with. Um, also, you see like um, sometimes people will fast a solid food and just have liquids or juice for a period of time. Or you kick out one particular food item. Some people will say, I'm going to fast coffee because that will really connect me more to God. Okay, you know, those are different ways to do it. And each has their, you know, their hard things and their easy things about it, right? And that goes into the next thing, which is you have to decide ahead of time how long you're going to do your fast. Because I guarantee you, if you don't decide it ahead of time, it's going to be a very short fast, like a five-minute fast. <laughs> You kind of have to have a finish line. It's like my husband always complains when I'm going out running. He's like, don't you set a goal of how far you're going to go? I'm like, no, I'm going to go until I'm tired. It's like, well, that's not going to make you, you know, go very far. I'm like, but it's going to make me enjoy running, right? Because if I have this big goal and, and you know, at the end, I'm going to get not want to do it. <laughs> but that's part of what helps, and fasting especially, it's part of what helps us reach the finish line is knowing I'm going to end it at this point. Okay, so maybe, maybe it's one meal, maybe it's a 12-hour fast, maybe it's a 24-hour, 36-hour, a week, three days. How, what's the length of time? You know, is it the fasting during daylight and then eating at night? What is the length of time that it's going to be and what kind is it? Decide that ahead of time. Otherwise, it's really easy to decide it's going to be a Snickers fast. Okay, decide ahead of time, this is what I'm going to fast, this is how long, and then... Stick to it, and maybe have someone keep you accountable, because it's really easy to change it when your stomach is grumbling. Okay, and the next thing is make the time sacred. Okay, some people are much holier than me and are able to maintain their daily lifestyle while fasting, and they're able to pray while doing everything they would normally do. That just makes me grumpy, it doesn't make me pray more, and it doesn't connect me to God, okay? If I'm going to seriously fast and pray, I need to follow Jesus's, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They went into the desert. Nobody's in the desert. There's lizards, okay? Lizards don't talk back, they don't feed you muffins, they don't say feed me, and they don't say wash my dishes, okay? There is a reason that they did their extended fasts away from people, okay? A day you can pull off around people, but even then it's like, if you're around a bunch of people who are eating birthday cake and saying, let's go for a run, it's gonna be a lot harder to pull off the fast and a lot harder to pray, right? The point of the fast is to make a sacred, special time set apart for communing with God. If you're with a group of people who are all doing it together, wonderful, they're holding you accountable, you're all fasting and praying together, that's beautiful. But if you're the only one, go away somewhere. Go lock yourself in your room. Go to a hotel. Go somewhere. Go to the mountains. Go somewhere where you can be set apart to fast and pray. So those go together. So you can use the time for what it's meant for, which is connecting with God. Now, I do know, 
and have done the fasting while maintaining regular life. And it is possible, and you know, people have uh, recommended like, every time your stomach grumbles, remember to pray, okay? And they, it can be a sacred time doing regular life, but it takes a lot discipline and planning and attitude checking. And so if you've never fasted before, work your way up to trying to fast during your regular life. <laughs> and instead, plan around it to make it sacred. I, it's kind of like if I want to have quality time with my husband, we want to go away somewhere where we can talk. If I have the kids involved, or if I'm trying to clean the house in the middle of it, or I have my phone in my face and I'm reading something, we're not really connecting with each other, okay? The way that we connect is if we make the time sacred, we cut off distractions and we say, let's talk. Okay, and that's, that's the point of the fast, is it is that sacred time. It is that my heart longs to connect with my Savior. And we see this in the Jewish Day of Atonement. God was very strict. He said, you will no, do no work at all on the day of fast. Nothing. It is a Sabbath day, holy to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the people of Israel. He was strict. This day is about fasting and praying and worshiping and thinking about your heart condition. Okay, that's it. So, um, logistics. Um, if you're fasting, you want to do it well, especially if it's a longer fast. One meal, two meals, even to a certain extent, three meals. Um, it's not, if you've never done it, it can be hard to pull off, but it's, it's not that awful to pull off. Um, usually, if, it's, if you're trying to fast an entire day, by the evening time, you'll start getting a little woozy and dizzy and tired. So just be aware and plan around that. Know that you might need to go to bed a little earlier, right? You plan that you probably shouldn't be going on a marathon on that day because you're going to be a little weaker. Um, extended fast, even more important, because your first day, like a... A one-day fast, it's not going to be as big of a deal, but if you're trying to do like three days to a week, by day, you can function pretty well until about day three or day four, and then you're just going to be really tired, and that's where it's having that sacred time and space, knowing that you need to rest, knowing that it is time that you need to be able to really fast and pray and focus in is important, and scheduling that in. Also, <laughs> beginning it and ending it well. If you eat a week's worth of food the day before, and then eat a week's worth of food on the day after, that doesn't work, because that'll just make you sick, especially on the day after. I had a friend that fasted for 10 days and then tried to eat a full meal after he broke it, like full hamburger, milkshake, fries, everything. Did not end well. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> it's, the point is not, let me load up, let me load up. It's how do I, it, it's a discipline, right? It's how do I ease into it and how do I ease out of it? It may take a couple days to gain your strength back afterwards. Okay, just be aware of that. There's a lot. Um, best book I've ever read on the spiritual disciplines in general was Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. And he goes much deeper into what a fast looks like at different time lengths. Um, and it's excellent. Not just talking about fasting, but all the spiritual disciplines. Now, some, now fasting, especially extended fasting, isn't necessarily for everyone, especially if there's health issues. So if you know you have health issues that fasting might not work, get creative. Is there something else you can do with that same heart motivation of how do I 
connect with God? How do I still myself enough to be able to hear from God? Um, Now, what do you do during that time? How do you connect with God? What are the ways that you connect with God? Is Is it being in nature? Is it through art? Is it through worship and music? Is it through corporate times of worship? Be aware of those ways that you hear God, and that's what you should do during that time. What refreshes your soul? What, is the, what are the ways that you are uniquely wired to communicate with God and to show your love for him and receive his love back for you? Uh, that's what you should do. Uh, you can read books. You can gather with other believers. You can have a time of prayer. Use the time as that sacred space. Uh, for me, what fasting had looked like, uh, I had a season of life where about two or three years in college, I was trying to use one day a week to fast and pray and rest, okay? And for one year, that meant I was at school, so I would do my classes, and then the entire evening, I would hide in the library, read the, the books that I was going through, and spend time in prayer and journaling, and sometimes walking around my campus and praying. And that was a profoundly spiritual experience. Uh, other years, I would, I would go hiking. Uh, I had this little cave in the mountains where nobody, nobody could find me, and I would go there and connect with God there. I would bring my guitar and have worship on top of the mountain. I'd have my journal. i have my stack of books, usually like this big, and just spend the entire day there. And it was a beautiful time of God working in my life and speaking to me in ways that are still resonating. And what made, part of what made it so sacred was the fasting. Because if I went up there to do those same activities on a regular day, within two hours, I want to go eat something or stop for a snack or I'm planning my dinner, okay? Fasting meant, okay, I may be hungry, but I'm not cutting my day short because I'm not eating. I don't have to pack anything. I don't have to clean up anything. I have that time and space set apart. And so I'm not going to cut it short for anything. And that made the day so much more special. And also, it's just when you're, when you're fasting, capacity to hear from God is different than on a regular day. You're just focused on an internal level in a way that's different. Now, current days, my current life, what does fasting look like? It does not look like a day a week on a mountain. Unfortunately, I wish I could pull off a day a week at the mountain, but I have two small children who would fall off of said mountain. <laughs> And honestly, as a mother of two small children, it's just not going to look the same. Right now, if I can fast one meal a week, usually breakfast, and spend some time, extra time praying during that period, I call it a win. I thought I could pull two or three meals off, and then there was chasing after small children, and then me getting grumpy and snapping because I'm too hungry and I'm too without energy to be able to manage it. And I said, that is a terrible idea. Let me do it on a day my children are taken care of in school and when I can use the time to pray. Because if I'm not fast praying with my fasting, why fast? Um, and so that's what it looks like now. And it's still a sacred, beautiful time. Um, but there's also been seasons where that, that was what I would call the ritualized Fasting, where I have a set time set aside for fasting and praying with set activities I would do, okay? Planned ahead. There's also been spontaneous times of fasting where God just speaks to me and says, you need to fast and pray for this. Uh, sometimes it was really supernatural occurrences where God says something is coming, something big is coming, and you need to fast and pray for this event that's coming. Uh, maybe my family, or maybe some relationships, maybe a ministry activity, or a huge life season change. And by the, the Holy Spirit comes and says, 
this something is coming. You don't know what it is yet, but you need to fast and pray for it. And then those tend to be maybe slightly longer because that's just this, this Holy Spirit entire, er, gift of knowing that this is something you need to do to prepare your spirit, right? And those times, I don't necessarily enjoy them, and I may complain to God and other people uh, working on that part. But they are also sweet, sacred spaces, and there have been some profound revelations and a lot of disciplining my heart and my spirit and my body in different ways that I wouldn't have accomplished without those times. And so it's the sense of grabbing hold of God and saying, I won't let go of you until you bless me. I want to see your face. I long for your presence with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength more than I long for coffee, which is saying a lot. And it's saying, God, I want you to change my life and my circumstances or the circumstances of the people around me. Something is not right and I can't change it and I need you to do it. And I believe you can because I have the power of God in my life to do it. Now, be aware, if you fast and pray, you will not make Satan happy. And that will be the day that someone will deliver your favorite donuts to your house. Inevitably, especially if it's your first couple times fasting, that will be the day your co-walker comes by with your favorite lunch, okay? That's just, it will also be the day that you decide this one food that you always hated looks amazingly delicious and you're gonna die if you don't have it, okay? Um, Satan likes to put things in our minds and especially when it comes to fasting and praying because that's connecting with God in a profound spiritual way that brings change in the physical and spiritual world, he really doesn't like it. So it's going to be hard, hence the discipline. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to feel like wrestling. The end result is worth it, but if all of a sudden you're like, why is life so hard? It's because you're fasting and it's hard, okay? Now, we all fail at it. It's okay, you just keep going. If you find one day you didn't work well, try again. Keep trying, keep trying. The end results are worth it. Um, it's, it's this, we, we take care, we take time to feed our bodies. This is taking time to feed your soul with that same diligence because we are a body and a soul. And sometimes we spend a lot more time feeding our physical parts of us than our spiritual parts of us. You are both spirit and flesh. You need both to live. Let them both feast in their own ways. Um, there is... Going back to our analogy to begin with, Thor and Mjolnir, this is your opportunity to learn how to wield your hammer, right? How do you use, focus that spiritual power that you've been given in order to see God bring destruction to evil and forces for good in the world that you live in? This is your way of using that power and tapping into it and seeing God bring change. It's also your way of connecting with God. Are there mourning a grief? Are there repentance? Are there things that you want God to change that you can't do? Uh, are, are you going through a time of serious transition? All of those are excellent reasons to fast and to pray. And now, once again, going back to that analogy of the hammer, having that sacred time set aside helps you focus it. That's like wielding power 101, now, what happens to Thor later on? He learns how to use his power without the hammer, okay? He graduates to the point where he doesn't need the, 
the framework of the discipline in order to access that power, but he needed to start there, okay? For us, too, uh, there's a 7th century Carmelite friar named Brother Lawrence who wrote a tiny little book called Practicing the Presence of God, and he says, you know, I can experience the presence of God no matter what I'm doing. Cutting, peeling potatoes is just as sacred as fasting and praying and singing in a, in a church service. And I would say he's on, like, you know, the advanced course of spiritual disciplines because he's gotten to that point where he is out. He has learned how to survive without the hammer. And that's a great point to get to where you can have that experience of the power of God, presence of God, no matter what you do. But we all got to start somewhere. Start with a hammer. Discipline. Learn that. Once that's mastered, then you can experience that, you know, those disciplines in all aspects of life all the time without having the structured framework. Because the point is not, how long can I go without food to show I'm holy? The point is, how do I connect with God? Where I want the heart of God in my life more and I need more than I have now. Let me do everything it takes to get there. Okay? So that's my application for you is fast and pray. If you've never done it, give it a try. Try one meal. Take one meal instead of eating, you fast and pray. Um, Try setting aside a day each week or each month where you just spend a set time to hide yourself away with your father and feed your soul and drink and eat deeply of his presence and his word. You can try to lengthen it out as you grow onto it. Some people want to just dive in and you know, three days, go for it. I'll let you decide with the spirit what you want to do and what you feel like God is calling you to do. But if you've never done it, I would encourage you to try it. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this, this time and this chance to be here. We thank you for just the gracious gift of your presence, your faithfulness, that when your people pray and seek your face, you answer. We thank you for the gift of your place in our lives and being able to partner with you and what it is that you want to do to heal a broken and wounded world. We just confess that there are ways that we have failed you. We've confessed that we have not sought you with all of our hearts, that we have let sin in our lives. We pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we have loved things other than you more. We pray, God, that you would help us to learn to Seek your face with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength because you promise if we do, we will find you. We just pray, God, that you would bless each and every person here, that they would be able to hear your voice clearly in a way they never have before. We just pray this in your name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.